Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. This is called Take Two. Coming up on today's program, Atlanta Public Schools wants to prepare students for the jobs of tomorrow, but the district needs more business partnerships. So I'll speak with APS Superintendent Dr. Lisa Herring, and she'll talk about what it takes to grow that program. And also, nearly three years on the job, we'll hear how Superintendent Herring is going to assess these first three years. And speaking of education, a different type of school program is being tested in Gwinnett County called Grizzly Academy Dreamers. Now, it'll offer additional academic activities from learning about wellness to environmental literacy. It's an education day here on Closer Look. Those conversations coming up. But first, a check on what state lawmakers are working on. A Georgia Senate bill would restrict teachers librarians, school staff, coaches, camp counselors, and others from talking with kids about sexual orientation or gender identity, as we hear from WABE's Sam Greenglass. Senate Bill 88 would ban these adults from talking with kids under 16 about, quote, information of a sensitive nature without permission from a parent or guardian. Tom Rawlings, formerly with the Division of Family and Children's Services, helped craft the bill. Rawlings says he's concerned children may begin a gender transition without parents knowing. We simply want to make sure that in appropriate cases, that parents know what's going on with their children. But students who crowded the hearing room to protest the bill say it would take away their ability to discuss sexual orientation or gender with trusted adults at school. The ACLU's Sarah Hunt Blackwell also says the bill is unconstitutional. The United States Constitution protects non-intimate conversations about gender identity and sexual orientation, even in schools. The bill is being compared with Florida's so-called Don't Say Gay legislation, signed by Republican Governor Ron DeSantis. That law prohibits any classroom instruction on sexual education or gender identity in kindergarten through third grade. Last year, Governor Brian Kemp signed a bill paving the way to restrict trans kids from school sports. SB 88 will have another hearing before a committee vote. Sam Greenglass, WABE News. In other legislative news, the Georgia Senate has passed a bill to place a monument of U.S. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas at the state capitol. WABE's Raul Bala reports on yesterday's debate. Republican Senator Ben Watson represents the Savannah area district that includes Clarence Thomas's hometown. He's also the bill's lead sponsor. This native son of Georgia deserves a place of honor and recognition on our capital grounds, a place where future generations of Georgians can learn valuable lessons from his legacy and gain inspiration in the belief that their lofty dreams are attainable too in America, regardless of the circumstances in which they are born. Democratic Senator Nabila Islam of Lawrenceville compared the proposal to members of the Confederacy who are honored at the state capitol. We may be making that mistake once more. Serious questions remain about the events of January 6th and the role of Associate Justice Thomas's wife, Ginny Thomas. What Justice Thomas knew, what his role may or may not have been, remains unknown by this body and by the public. Senator Emanuel Jones, a Democrat from Decatur, addressed his concerns to Watson. Being a person of color, can you understand that I have issues with some of the rulings, not the man, but particularly some of his positions that he's taken on, issues that are important to those of us of color? I certainly respect your opinion. The bill passed on a party-line vote of 32 to 20 and now moves to the House. Similar legislation passed the Senate last year but failed to get out of the House. Raul Bally, WABE News, the state capitol. And we'll keep you posted on both of those measures. You're listening to Closer Look. Back in a moment with APS Superintendent Dr. Lisa Herring.
Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. In a few months, it will officially be three years on the job for Atlanta Public School Superintendent Dr. Lisa Herring. Yes, accepting the position during an unprecedented time, the pandemic. And when Herring was the sole finalist for the superintendent's job, she joined Closer Look. It was back in April of 2020. Yes, we're going to go back down memory lane, Dr. Herring, so hang in there. And she talked about the importance of alliances and how she wanted to enhance community partnerships for the district. As a superintendent, some of the most impactful strategies that we've executed, Rose, have, they evolved or emerged or were even conceived out of partnerships, whether that was in, in, in comparison to the partnership with Apple, where the only place in the country where Ed Farm exists now does. Um, and that's not just working with executives in Apple, but moving into working with the CEO uh, to make sure that uh, we execute well, Tim Cook or working with the mayor of Birmingham to execute uh, what we fondly and very proudly referenced as the Birmingham Promise, mm -hmm. which provides opportunities as working across all, all levels of the community or even with United Way. But the, coming out of that, my entire career has been based on building relationships uh, with the community partners, uh, faith-based community as well. Uh, it, is, uh, it is what I have learned is critical to ensuring that all of us uh, take ownership of not just a strategic plan, but of our community and our children. That is called, as the kids say, keeping receipts on everything, because that's what we do here. That was then, and the district well, is still working to prepare students for the jobs of tomorrow. APS looks to business partnerships to fulfill that initiative. So we'll talk about that and more as Superintendent Dr. Lisa Herring joins me in studio. Welcome. No more virtual, huh? No more virtual. It's so good to be here. And what a walk down memory lane. Three yeah. years ago. Does it seem like three or 16? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, almost three. 25 is what it feels like. But, you know, it's all worth it. Well, there's a lot to get to. But I want to begin with what will be in a few months, three years in a pandemic. And if you've had a chance with your team or just even through your own personal assessment, you know, what this three years has been like for you? What a perfect question um, to really bring me into my first sit down after three years of being uh, so many other things, whether it's virtual, hybrid or otherwise, which perhaps is a good testament of what that full journey has looked like, Rose. Um, I'm grateful still to have been given the assignment to lead uh, public education in a city called Atlanta that I love and where I became an educator. Uh, the pandemic was not kind to any of us. The mm -hmm. trauma that it um um, created and has still left as a part of the due diligence of the work and sitting here listening to my voice and the strength of my voice and the confidence of what it takes to do this work I am still uh, encouraged and empowered by that but I am reminded that challenges do exist uh, I'm well um, our children will get well and many are but I have to be honest around our continued laser focus to ensure that all of them are now, I usually save those self-reflection questions for the end. Okay. But let's, let's jump into that because you talked about the challenges. And before we get to the students and the learning gap and, and other initiatives you want to bring in, listen, the last few weeks you all have been in the news and has, mm -hmm. I mean, look, you have a petition mm -hmm. that, according to reports, uh, 650 folks signed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want you to respond to that. Absolutely. And I appreciate you going straight to that and having a space to respond. The data that is embedded in that petition directly comes from the data that our district has been engaging with on a monthly basis for the last seven months in a governance model that we call student outcomes focused governance. Now more than ever as a school system, and we are a leader in this, but these are the results of talking very candidly about data. We've spoken to the reality of proficiency levels, and we've put in screeners in place to look at where our students are emotionally, and that petition addresses those issues. So outside of what in the folks in this petition are looking at some of these math scores, for example, right. but also the 
allegation here that the district has failed to share some what they call school level data on this on other things so do you understand is there basically what i'm asking with the reasons that they cite for this petition is it just basically not true that is correct we share the data i'm telling you that we are transparent about that data we have to be because it's because it is that data that will drive the interventions that we can provide and the work that's needed to be able to accelerate student performance and to be candid about it. And some of the tools that we are utilizing to even bring that data forward did not exist two years ago. For example, the MAP data, the universal mm-hmm. screener, or our BAS data, which allows for us to talk about emotional and behavioral wellness, didn't exist um, prior to my administration. Also citing your executive team, other folks in leadership positions. How do you assess, I want you to take time now because you have time, how do you assess these folks in their positions? Absolutely. If, if If the community doesn't understand that. So there are several opportunities to that. You know, we've started this administration off in what I called an invisible culture. And so what does that really mean? From July or April of 2020, even until about uh, this last this last start of this school year, so much was virtual and hybrid. And as the administration changed and we put positions and also practices in place, still been a continued opportunity to help our community better understand what is the, that the work is that we're doing Who's leading that work and what's the outcome of that work? So for folks that who have heard what you've said now, is there anything else that you want to add that you think will help give a better understanding? Or have you talked to the board members? Have you explained that to them? Oh, absolutely. And so I reference student outcomes-focused governance. We're one of the few districts in the state that utilizes data as our intentional discussion at every board meeting which allows for the community to have access to more robust data than ever before. But data without the narrative and without a full understanding of what it means and what we're doing, mm-hmm. um, it, gives, it becomes a tool to either empower or for challenge. And so we absolutely embrace the opportunity to better inform, empower, and educate our stakeholders, our board support student outcomes focused governance helping our stakeholders understand what the data means and what we're doing is something we will be that much more focused around as it relates to those student outcomes we heard this term the learning gap yeah what the pandemic the impact it had are there still challenges dr herring for the district in addressing the learning gap for some students due to the pandemic. Where are you all in that process? So absolutely. And here again is where I want to lead and push in very intentionally that Atlanta Public Schools has been a leader around that work. So from our Summer Academic Recovery Academy, which we will launch again this June, where each year we've seen an increase in the number of students who are participating for specifically the support in reading, Mm -hmm. literacy, and numeracy support. We continue to monitor that. And we did extend that 30-minute window within our elementary and middle schools for literacy intervention and our data relative to growth is strong but data relative to growth does not mean that every student has met proficient and that also means we have to identify where they start and you ask the question are we still addressing issues from the pandemic unfinished disrupted learning disrupted absolutely but we're also monitoring that student by student you seem uh, it appears to be a, a leader that looks to data yes obviously to to make assessments but if it's if APS is the leader in this in terms of the, the learning gap that we just talked about how do you assess that is it based on just this these this proficiency that you talked about these scores So being a leader and having the confidence and the strength to address openly what our data tells us is important. It also creates then a response of, well, how long has this existed? Here we are again looking at proficiency, which is a part of the argument that has surfaced. Mm -hmm. But we have to ground that in where did we begin? It's a national conversation and a national reality around student performance and the impact of COVID. There's Atlanta Public Schools is not isolated in that impact. Sure. At the same time, when I reference us being a leader and being candid about the conversation and being very transparent okay, around the work, about. that's what I want to be clear about. And then the other space to that, Rose, that has to be articulated is even as we see progress in some of our most challenged students. Progress doesn't necessarily mean that we will see them at proficiency immediately, but we will see them to it. So progress over time, which is why we've put in screeners to do it, be able to assess that throughout the course of the school year. 
is there a component that's missing or that you're lacking that you wish you had? And, and it could be either in terms of personnel, because we heard about teacher shortages. So I imagine if you have to bring in specialty educators for some of these areas, is that hindering you at all? Or are there other factors with students that they, that's maybe an external aspect that you all have no control of? So there are several factors, just top of mind. We will always have to be relentless in our effort to increase parental engagement, particularly in pockets of our population where there are priorities that are not secondary to our well, the well-being of our children, but we have to find more innovative and creative ways to not only engage but to support households and families. That's number one. Number two, we cannot have this conversation about uh, the performance of our students and not address the issue of mental health and wellness. Mm-hmm. And that is a factor that does require additional support. Quick example, we've made telehealth available. Our students have asked for it, but we're going to have to do more to get parents to take advantage of it for free, mm-hmm. for free, when we know that that is a factor. And that is a direct response from the COVID interruption. You also asked about staffing. We will never suggest that there's not a space for more, but that's where business partners play a critical role. Mm -hmm. That's where uh, partners in the out-of-school time community play a pivotal role, and that's where I'm committed and will stay committed to increasing my ask for those to join us in this effort to ensure that our students have everything that they need. Ensuring that students have everything they need. When we talk about preparing students, whether it's for the next level of education, which could be some some type of college or, or even just career ready. Mm-hmm. How first of all, how do you define when it, when a a high school student is quote career ready if they're not going to go to college? And do you think that districts your job is to educate, but some will say, well, okay, them being career ready. Should that be a focus of a, of, a, of a, now I'm not saying this, I've actually got an email about this. Should districts be focusing so much on what the kids do once they graduate? Absolutely. And let me say this with clarity. On January 19th, when we held our state of the district at the Illuminarium by design so that I could create a vision around what is the imperative, and I refer to it as the moral imperative for what it should look like by the time a scholar leaves us, I took a moment to acknowledge the highest graduation rate ever for Atlanta Mm -hmm. Public Schools at 84%. But how much do we celebrate that if when they leave us, they are unable to be enrolled, Mm -hmm. to already be entrepreneurs, to be enlisted, or to be employed. And so the the imperative of this season, the innovation of this season, is that that's exactly what is the reality for our scholars before they leave us, before 12th grade. Well, what does that mean, Lisa? For me, it's simple. Mm -hmm. And this is, again, where I believe we have to be a leader in a city called Atlanta. We have too many businesses for our scholars to leave us and not have some access to employment and credentials that we can do jointly because that's, with or without a college degree, what the workforce is now saying is a necessity. So this is where you want more businesses to partner with a. So what does that look like? So it looks like the following. It looks like the most recent partnership that we've done with Nike, where we are co-creating this exchange between what will our scholars experience with them at middle or high school level before they leave us. And while Nike is here in Atlanta, they can not only identify and work with our project-based learning or with our STEM and STEAM work, but we can also expose our scholars to the careers that are an opportunity for them mm-hmm. before they leave. It's it. Mm-hmm. But let me ask you, and I, I, my apologies for interrupting. No is that for every student? Because often you, we hear ah. folks say, "Well, yeah, you all are only targeting those kids who might be in a specific academic achievement." Mm-hmm. And what about the kids that may be in the middle or not at the top? So we're. Not, is there something for every student? There has to be something for every student, Rose. But in order for there to be something for every student, every partner who has a possibility needs to come to the table, which was also their request. Every school in Atlanta Public Schools does not have a corporate partner. But for those that do, it is the difference maker. And I give kudos to companies like Delta, for whom they've been po- powerful partners for years. But what my principals say to me more than ever in the last two years, years. We need a corporate partner, Dr. Herring, above and beyond. And so our request for that is very clear. We want to be able to bring your employees into our classroom, but we want to bring our scholars into your environment. And we're not we're not handpicking scholars. This is for every child. Mm-hmm. So when you adopt a school, you adopt the entire student population. You would like for every high school or at least middle school to be adopted by a business? No, every, elementary, every elementary, middle, and high school. There are no exceptions to that. That number is right at about 50 additional 
corporate partners. And that was a part of that request from January 19th. And by the way, those who were in attendance have started to ask more questions. How can I become a partner? Just recently off of a conversation over the last two weeks, a principal who made that request mm -hmm. is going to be notified of a new corporate partner of an entity that will help change the game for the school and every student that they serve. Do you believe you can get a corporate partner or a business partner or some type of community partner for every school in APS? I would have never asked for it if I didn't believe it. The greater question is, how soon will they show up? And how soon can we say that we've reached that mark? I believe that there are companies and entities throughout the city uh, that are ready and willing to do just that, and we can co-create what that partnership looks like. But I will tell you, it's a difference maker. Now, you mentioned that that luncheon that was off the belt line. Now, now you know, there was some folks had some issues with that because mm -hmm. it cost a lot of money, mm -hmm. uh, according to reports. Uh, do you want to address that? Absolutely. It was like not a, quite $100,000, but $95,000. And, you know, listen, folks said this was $130. $30 lunch plate. Not that they shouldn't eat pan roasted salmon and, you know, chocolate cake for about 300 folks. This money, some say were you taking this away from the district? So we took nothing away from the district, first of all, to be clear. These were not stakeholder, these were not tax holder dollars. These was not tax dollars. All of the funds utilized for state of the district came directly from fundraising, um, uh, from Coke machines, etc. We are wiser and smarter than to utilize taxpayer dollars for that. But I want to be clear about what an investment is mm -hmm. um, versus what the perception is. So the investment of that with all of the partners, over 300, corporate stakeholders who are also um, uh, elected officials, et cetera, who have spoken very clearly to the understanding of being able to see what we want to see in every school. And had that environment existed within the school, in order to cast a vision, you have mm -hmm. to make it plain. That was our opportunity to do so. And in doing so, the investment alone that we will have reinvested in our schools, one corporate partnership far exceeds the cost of that event. Yes, Is there a timeline that you have that you would hope that every school has this business that's going to adopt them and does it it doesn't have to be a corporation could it be a, a smaller thank you I'm yes. asking it can so for those who are listening if you're not the CEO of a, a billion dollar organization and and, and and that those have existed but if you are a CEO with an opportunity we welcome those partners timeline so we're in our 150th year Atlanta Public Schools being mm -hmm. founded in 1872 our goal for this school year as we celebrate the 150th has been the 15 million dollar ask in philanthropic dollars that goes directly to our schools mm -hmm. it has also been the request for corporate partners to rise up regardless of size thank you for asking so that every school has that partner and you say this works because you you did it in Alabama and you have you say look, you're, you're a data person but you know that these type of partnerships benefit students and the community for which it lies in in the way you stand in, by that. I stand by that for students and as you say it the sentence must end with for children for children for children Speaking of children, obviously, because that is the focus of this whole conversation, the students, there are some external factors, Dr. Herring, that impact students, not just in APS, but yes. most public schools. And yeah. I want to talk about housing, okay. because as you know, when we talk about students missing attend their attendance records, mm -hmm. it could be because of health and medical. Yeah, there was a report yesterday about how many kids miss school, miss classes mm -hmm. because of toothache, mm -hmm. tooth pain, mm -hmm. but affordable housing. Now, you all can't do anything about that here in Atlanta. We know what that housing crisis is like. But how do you see that being an issue in terms of retaining teachers, yes. educators, and also keeping kids in the district, in the neighborhoods? Because their neighborhoods are changing. So, you know, you started out by saying we can't do anything about that. And I would just like to expand that sentence to say Atlanta Public Schools cannot do anything about that in isolation. And so the housing factor relative to whether it's teacher housing or what we see across our communities, there's an opportunity for us to collaboratively come together to reimagine, re-envision what housing looks like in partnerships that allow for coexistence with teacher housing, along with perhaps early learning centers, along with perhaps other individuals so that we have a, a multi-use facility. That's, that's reimagining what that looks like here mm -hmm. in, the, in Atlanta. I know that there are entities 
ladies that are curious in that conversation, I want to be clear that we have that same interest, and that too is an imperative. A teacher who's been working five years or less in the city of Atlanta should also be able to afford to live mm-hmm. in the city of Atlanta. But imagine for those households, and there are many students in APS that meet that, that federal guideline yeah. for at or below the poverty line, mm-hmm. you know that, and then they have to move, or they're, they're constantly moving. Yeah. And I know there are programs like I think it's Star C and other programs, but obviously one program is not enough. Mm-hmm. When that happens, when you how you're all able to track these students to try to get a social worker or someone to, to reach out to the family and say what help do you need? And I and I know that's a, that's a daunting task. I want to be fair about that. No, but I, that's a big issue for Atlanta public schools in a city like Atlanta. It's a big issue for many of us in public education. I'm a former uh, school counselor and spent many years supervising supervising student services. During the pandemic, we onboarded additional school psychologists, nurses, and social workers for the exact reason which you've named. Now let's just get to the mechanics of it. Mm-hmm. Um, when our students become displaced um, by law, federal law, McKinney-Vento to be accurate, there are some stipulations in place that allow for us to still pro- provide a stable learning environment. That stable learning environment means that if, if, if an individual is actually displaced, they don't have to leave the school. The school social worker, counselor, teacher, etc. once we are aware of that, we can figure out ways from transportation to other resources to help support that need. Mm-hmm. But it has to be clearly identified in such as such. Otherwise, if it's simply families moving because they cannot afford to re- remain in one household or one location so they move to the next, you asked about the tracking, which can be challenging. But if they're within the system or within mm-hmm. the state, we communicate across, obviously across the district, across other districts, within the district and across the, the city or otherwise. But what's also crit- crit- critically important in that would be student support services, mm-hmm. a counselor, a social worker, a psychologist who's able to push in to say, what do we need to ensure that Lisa, the student, or Lisa's family has sustainable resources to ensure that the student remains on track? Do you think APS parents who might find themselves in that situation understand that they can possibly reach out to the district for help? Perhaps that is not communicated well enough to them. I think some do, but I will absolutely own that this type of resource and opportunity can never be over-communicated. And we do try to work intentionally with partners like Atlanta Thrive or other partners within our community who have the ear of our families who are in need, but we will forever always be that much more diligent in making that available. McKinney-Vento is not a common term, right, right, to your question, Mm -hmm. that a family might name, but a social worker knows immediately what the resources are or the counselor, if you will. Those resources are impacted, obviously, by the taxpayers, folks Mm -hmm. that, but look, if Buckhead becomes its own city. (laughs) Now, have you talked to the Buckhead city folks? So I had the honor of attending the recent luncheon, the Buckhead luncheon, the coalition, and um, I will continue to. It was an honor? I had the honor to be able to attend with peers who are, and from my experience, those who are championing the continuation of One Atlanta. Okay. Um, but what about the, other side, the folks on the other side? Yeah, so that we, we are clear here in Atlanta Public Schools, I love your questions, Ralph, <laughs> that uh, we want to see Atlanta remain united, and we know the long-term benefit of that. I know that that's resurfaced within legislation, but I'm very clear on our district and our board's position in that, and what that means for our city long-term is just as important as what it means for our children. Um, I, you know, I'm going to treat everybody with dignity and respect. So, yeah. that's, a, that's a good thing to say. Not everybody does that. Now, speaking of legislation, uh, this decisive concepts legislation, are you hearing from teachers or what do you make of all that? Well, here again, this is where APS has been pretty solid around where we stand. Um, The importance of history and our role for allowing our students and staff to engage in healthy discourse and conversations. I'm proud of how our board has been uh, very diligent around our position and even for our students to have uh, a level of vocal support or student agency. The history of our our city, country, our world is, is one in which public education has to be that safe space where we not only engage, but we allow for opinion without forcing anything else uh, for that exchange. And um, we we work very intentionally to to train our staff to be able to do just that. What have you heard from educators in about a, got about a minute left? Okay. There's some concerns for them that, that have they reached out and said, look, you know, what do I do if a parent or somebody else accuses me of teaching a quote 
divisive concept here? Yeah. So that's, what support do you have for your educators? That's a great question. And so we're about in our second year of what we designed as our Center for Equity and Social Justice um, with our first Chief Equity and Social Justice Officer. But beyond that, within that department, there is a division that provides professional development uh, for teachers, for principals, and for schools. And to answer your question, are those calls made? Absolutely. And our response is immediate. And we've had healthy exchange and healthy professional engagement that has led to healthy exchange in the classroom. So that's an easy answer. Well, so, that, hmm? no, that's easy answers. I do have one more reflection question as we wrap up. Mm -hmm. I asked you coming into this how you were handling all this. You're an educator. You've been in education for a long time. How do you assess your own physical, mental health and all of this? And, you know, how much mm -hmm. longer would you like to be superintendent? Wow, what a powerful question. That's what I do. That's And you did it. <laughs> And so I know that I have been called to an assignment to serve. I say that with clarity and with confidence. It has been my greatest assignment so far on my journey to serve in a city called Atlanta. To be clear, there is still work to do, whether that is to bring on partners or to help address the issues of disparities and inequities across our city. And for as long as I am able to sit in this seat to do just that, we will. And the assessment on that will be based on a couple of questions that I said July 1, 2020, and coincidentally our mayor said at Year of the Youth, are the children well? There's a carefulness in that, Rose, because when I say it, I want to tell you immediately that everybody's well. But the journey to wellness is just that. It is a journey. We will be accountable and transparent about it, but it's a journey. And because it is, we will be diligent in how we report it out. But I will never lose sight of children first. Children first. Spring break is right around the corner here. Yeah. Um, tragically, you all have lost some students yes. to gun violence. Dr. Heron, there's going to be a later this this week, I believe. It might be tomorrow, uh, a big forum on gun violence and youth. I don't think anyone has come up with a solution. Yeah. But through your lens, what role can a district like APS play in trying to, to come up with programs, initiatives, whatever, to to curb this gun violence among youth, and particularly black youth. Particularly black youth. And Rose, um, we have to be a lead voice. In the latter part of March, we will have our own call to action. So two things are happening simultaneously. Our Student Advisory Council um, has just recently pushed out a request for city leaders to join them in their own call to action to help address this issue. About 30 amazing school leaders who are students. Um, you can find that on my Instagram site at Dr. Lisa Herring. Mm -hmm. um, but beyond that, Atlanta Public Schools, uh, I have asked our team to hold a, a call to action convening where we galvanize all of the people who've been knocking on our doors to say, how can we help in March before spring break? Because we cannot do it alone. And whether those are the out of school time providers or those entities that can help us provide resources during out of school time, we're going to do it together. I'll forward you later the date because we know that it takes all of us to save our children. Atlanta Public School Superintendent Dr. Lisa Herring, coming up on three years in her position. Thank you for taking time. I really appreciate it. My, my, my pleasure, and thank you for having a platform for us to speak to our work. You are appreciated, Rose Scott. Thank, thank you. you. Mm -hmm. And a note of disclosure, WABE's broadcast license is held by the Atlanta Board of Education. Stay tuned. There's more Closer Look. We're back in a moment.
and Closer Look will continue in just a moment. I'm Rose Scott, but I wanted to take some time to bring you some major news regarding MARTA. Now, riders dependent on MARTA's red line will see a major but temporary change to their route starting this Friday through Sunday. February 26th, the red line from Medical Center Station and south to the airport will be suspended as MARTA engineers replace the track over the coming days. Now, MARTA project manager Anthony Riviera says their teams will be working 24 hours a day to get the project done. Every once in a while, we've got to do stuff like this because the, the equipment wears out. And so we have to run slower in those areas by changing out this equipment. We're able to allow the trains to run at a higher rate of speed which allows us to run more trains in a shorter period of time and give you better service. Now, folks who need a way to travel south of Medical Center Station can take advantage of a free bus shuttle to Lenox Station on the Gold Line or apply for a $10 Uber or Lyft voucher. And we'll have more information on our website. As always, too, you should check the MARTA website. Now, MARTA says the red line will resume limited service on Thursday, February 23rd, and will be back to full service by the following Sunday. This is Closer Look. We're back in a moment. And Closer Look continues now from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Research suggests there are many benefits for students who attend school-related programs outside of the classroom. Also, they say, listen, students who regularly participate in these type of programs, they can actually they can strengthen their math and reading skills and have a greater school attendance and school engagement. Now, locally, there's a new initiative being tested in Gwinnett County. Georgia Gwinnett College has launched a new school-related program that they hope will be a model for programs throughout the state. It's called the Grizzly Academy Dreamers. Dr. Amber E. Ebert is an assistant professor of science education and the secondary education department chair at Georgia Gwinnett College. Dr. Ebert, welcome to the program. I really appreciate it. Listen, um, let's talk about the Grizzly Academy Dreamers. Uh, how did this this come up? So uh, about two years ago, we started talking about this idea um, in the School of Education at GGC, and um, my dean was very supportive, and the entire institution was very supportive, and we, we wanted to pursue this. We wanted to write this federal grant to be able to start an after-school program, but not just start an after-school program, but mm-hmm. really try to be innovative and unique and work with our school partners so that we could bring the students from the schools to a college campus. We really wanted that to be a piece of, of our architecture. And often when we think of after-school programs, I mean, sometimes we might think of there may be an athletic or some mm-hmm. type of arts, but you all are doing something. I mean, you got wellness, you got yep. environmental literacy and all this. How did you come up with these, what you call additional academic activities? I think one of the most... Because if it was left up to me, we'd all be playing basketball. <laughs> right. Well, prob- probably the students as well. <laughs> um, one of the things that we did during the proposal writing phase, it was very important to me that the voices of the parents the students and the schools were heard and that it wasn't me or someone from my team making that decision about what elements should be in this program. So we took the time and with our school partners did a needs assessment. So what'd you hear? We heard that they wanted the very things that you stated. They did want wellness. They wanted athletics. They wanted art. They wanted more STEM. Uh, They wanted entrepreneurship. They wanted journalism. I love those kids. The things that that we're doing. (laughs) And, And what was really moving was the parental voices really let us know that wellness and they said it in a variety of ways Mm -hmm. Uh, my student could benefit from support especially coming out of covid Um, better coping skills social emotional learning just general wellness and even students recognize that they needed that as well and so you've you've done the assessment Mm -hmm. which you know everyone always talks about the importance of listening to the community which i 100 percent agree with obviously listen to the community so now you've got these lists and here comes the money question funding Mm -hmm. because you would love to put this in every school right now it's sort of in a pilot phrase so talk about I think there are two schools that you're going to sort of launch this in right yes yes so we we have two school partners Lawrenceville Elementary School um, and Jenkins Elementary School and so we started with those two schools worked with those principals um, took that information built the the pieces into the grant proposal and we were lucky enough to be funded we found out in July of last year that we had we were funded how much did I get 
$350,000 a year, and it is a five-year grant, so it's about $1.7 million. So every little bit helps. Absolutely. And so with so has it already started, or will it start? Yes. It's no, started. it's already started. We kicked off a little bit later than we would have liked. Uh, First-year programs are just the best situation for continuous improvement. You start it, you get it going, and you constantly say, how can we do this better, and how can we improve, and how can we make it smoother? So educators some of them work and obviously they're working 10 12 hour days are you getting separate different uh, skills folks educators come in or you have some educators who say look I still would like to be in this after school program and work with the students we have uh, educators and and I would love to share this because I think it speaks really highly to what we're doing in the program and also our institution Georgia Gwinnett College and Gwinnett County Public Schools so out of the six certified teachers that we have working in our program um, one is a retired educator from DeKalb the other five are Georgia Gwinnett College graduates from our School of Education who are teaching in Gwinnett County Schools. So they teach during the day, then they come to us in the afternoons and they teach again. What's the feedback been like? Have Tre- you visited tremendous. and have you been been able to visit and see with your own eyes? Yeah what the kids, how they're responding? Yes. Uh, usually I'm on site at least once or twice a week. I do have an amazing staff. I have site coordinators who really are the ones who make everything work. They're there every single day. But when I go, I'm seeing really pointed academic instruction, really mindful academic instruction, looking at what do the students need? Are there gaps that we can fill? Are there supports that we can provide? And my teachers are so wonderful. They pay attention to that. They don't just say, we're going to do some math problems mm-hmm. or we'll do a little reading today. They have a plan, just as they do during the day. And this is not for any type of grade. This is just an Correct. extra uh, academic activity that the students can sign up for. Yeah. And, and, and the uh, enrichment portion of our program, I'm so happy to share and we're growing we want to grow we, we want to offer even more than we're offering now a large portion of our enrichment teachers right now are ggc faculty members mm. and we have some certified teachers as well but we've got faculty leading entrepreneurship step um journalism club two literacy professors who's teaching journalism over there i'm just kidding Uh, you have an invitation by the way they wanted me to let you know because they i was their first interview because they're producing a couple of newspapers that is um, this semester and i was their first interview so they wanted me to please let you know they would love to uh, zoom you in at some point i would i would be happy to do that (laughs) what is the assessment checklist that you use then because if you go back and say look to this funder or to some other grant program and say, look, we can show you, because I was mm-hmm. just speaking with, obviously, the APS superintendent. She's big on data. Yes. You know, sometimes when it comes to getting funding for anything, dealing with kids, folks want data, yep. as opposed to, I don't know why, you can just look out and see what's happening. But, okay, yep. you got your data. What do you show them? Well, that's the phase we're in right now. We are looking at how to construct our evaluation. And and that's a, a big piece of, I would say, every educational program or should be, but especially federally funded programs. There are a lot of check boxes that we, just for good fidelity, we have to show. And so we're building that right now. I actually talked to my evaluator yesterday, and we're, we're building some plans for not just to be superficial and say, hey, we gave some surveys and the students really love what we're doing. Mm-hmm. But he and I were talking about how do we actually speak to impact that we have? We can't claim that our program you know, has the only positive impact. Sure. They're, they're getting so many things during the day that are valuable. How do we really hone in and try to tease apart what potential impact we're going to have? Um, but but absolutely a superintendent is correct that is the name of the game and you want to show growth and you want to make sure that you know what you're presenting you know really has has a strong backing what is the time frame from when the kids when they finish with their regular day of, of classes and when is it starting how long is do y'all provide transportation we do and all that as well because that can do. be challenging for some households that was a non-negotiable when i was writing this proposal i've i have had experiences with this funding source in these programs for about 15 years. And I've seen firsthand that when transportation is not in the equation, you knock out an entire population of students. And arguably, that could be the group of kids who might need this the most. Mm -hmm. So that was, again, a non-negotiable. So students finish up their day um, around 3 p.m., 3.10, at the elementary school. They board GCPS buses. 
special, but not special buses, but buses that only come to us, sure. of course. Um, and the buses bring them from their school campus to our college campus. My staff is there to greet them and get them off the bus, and we start their day. And so they are with us uh, from 3.30 p.m. until 6.30 p.m. Monday through Friday. And then parents have the option of either um, picking up their kids in cars mm-hmm. on our campus, or we also provide bus transportation home. And do you all also provide little snack and meals for them? Because, you we know, I, I was hungry from 3.30 to 6 after we, school. So. We do. Interesting fact about this funding source, um, you have to provide a snack, but you are not allowed to buy food. So we worked very closely. And again, I, I cannot say enough about the partnership with Gwinnett County Public Schools. Uh, I worked with School Nutrition. They're providing snacks. Okay. So you have to provide a meal, but you could not use the money to buy it. Correct. So you have to partner with. Exactly. So so school nutrition uh, at GCPS, they were wonderful to work with. There is a USDA reimbursable program. Okay. And so, so, you know, the district is not out any resources, any money, but we work together to make sure that this would qualify for that program. And uh, I go visit the school nutrition managers at those two schools every couple of weeks. They're the most lovely it's not ladies. Just, it's not they just bring pizza snacks. and hamburgers, right? No, they, they wheel the carts out to my car and we <laughs> load my car down with snacks and I take them to the college. How many students so far are in the program? Right now, we have a little over 80 mm-hmm. that are registered. We would love to hit our cap of 120. What is the next step? Because it sounds like it's working. It is. Um, and then if you've got $1.5 million for th- how many years? Five years. Five years. And now that's just, that's just with two elementary schools. Mm-hmm. If you look into your, <laughs> your crystal ball, sure. you, you need a lot more. To, to even advance this to middle or high school or Absolutely. just at least all elementary. I mean, that's a lot. It is. So looking uh, right at where we are right now, I would say I'm highly focused on looking at the parts of our program that can improve. Um, again, we are doing a great job. My staff is doing a wonderful job, but you get complacent and things don't work. We're always looking at what's working right now, but how do we make it better? It's great that we have seven different enrichment offerings right now. I want 12. You know. And you know what, doctor, for f- kids, for some of them, this is the first time to a college campus. We this hear one, that all the time. You might open their eyes to a whole new just world for them. Yep. They've got to, I can imagine they've got to really enjoy that. We, we believe that they do. That's what we're seeing and hearing. Um, the very first day, uh, not first day rather, but first week of the program, I had a conversation with a fifth grader. And she said, do you know what? And I said, what? She said, I like it here. And I said, well, I'm really glad to hear that. And I'm thinking she means the program. And, and I paused and I said, do you mean that you like it in our program or do you mean you like it here on our campus? And she thought for a second and she smiled and she said, both. And I said, do you think you might want to come here one day? And she said, yeah, I do. And she should have said, will you uh, make sure I <laughs> get this tuition paid? Exactly. That's going to be the next step. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to, that actually came out from a parent meeting. A parent mm-hmm. said, you know, hey, can we can we talk about um, you know kids who graduate, if you will, from the Dreamers program? Mm-hmm. You know, they go third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. You know, what if they want to come back here to GGC? Can we talk about a scholarship? And I said, man, this is this is why we have parent meetings because that is a wonderful idea, and that needs to be put on the list of many things that we want to do. How diverse is the student participation? Extremely diverse. Extremely diverse. We have every uh, race, ethnicity represented, uh, as well as lots of languages. Now, I would believe that the journalism course is probably the most uh, popular, but I'll let you go ahead and just (laughs) tell the truth here. I I imagine probably something with music or art or STEM is probably the most popular. It's really hard to say. Um, Students are very... I mean, yeah, they're 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 their own people. They're they're yeah. so individualized, and I will say, I think one good thing that we did, we were just trying to get off the ground and make sure the very basic needs were met in the mm-hmm. fall. We wanted to make sure that our our organization was tight and that we were keeping kids safe. That was just that had to be right. Mm-hmm. And so in the fall, we we prescribed enrichment to the students, and they had a good time. But when we came back in January, I asked my staff to survey students and say. 
what do you want to be in? Yeah. Let's change how we're approaching this a little bit. And so, but I will say, most of them are pretty equitably attended. They're having a good time. That's a good answer. Yeah. Dr. Amber Ebert is an assistant professor of science education and the secondary education department chair at Georgia Gwinnett College. And it's called the Grizzly Academy Dreamers. For folks who are listening who says, hey, maybe the next round, can my, my child get in that? Where can they go for more information? Uh, well, I am happy to talk to anybody uh, about that or, or help, you know, brainstorm programs. But, yeah. Is there a website? Uh, there is. There's a link on our website for Georgia Gwinnett College. So just go to program. Georgia. Just mm-hmm. go to Georgia Gwinnett College. Yeah. And we'll have a link as well. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank, Thank you for you. what you're doing for so many students. I appreciate it. Thank you. And I would be happy to come out there. Please. We would love it. It's going to be the most well-attended after school course (laughs) not only by students but uh you're probably going to see a lot of faculty too when they hear that you're there um a lot of my colleagues were very jealous that i was getting to come and talk to you today wait wait till they see the hat and the shirt you get (laughs) that's it for this edition of closer look our producers are Lashawn hudson daniel razel and pat st Clair. tiffany griffith is our supervising producer our engineer is sawyer vanderwerf Reminder, let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, bros at wabe.org. And of course, if you missed any of today's program, it's online, wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as on our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. The world has changed, from shifts in power to a mental health crisis. So with all this social change, how do we balance the human desire for empathy, the business need for productivity, and the hope to make an impact in our community? This is a new podcast, The Social Impact Leader. I'm Jeff Schinnebarker. Join me as we explore people doing work a little different. Available every Wednesday at wabe.org forward slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. W-A-B-E. Sounds Like ATL is a music documentary series that takes an in-depth look at the artists amplifying Atlanta's famed music community. Built around a desire to highlight Atlanta's diverse and world-renowned music scene, each episode features unforgettable, intimate musical performances by fresh new musical guests, each with exclusive interviews about the stories behind their music. Listen at wabe.org or wherever you find your podcasts.